I hope you have also been profiting from our study in Nehemiah so far in this new year. I know I have. It's been a great study thus far. And, and, and so far, so good in Nehemiah, right? We just finished chapter 3 last week. God is using Nehemiah and his people to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, God's house, so that God can reform his people under his rule in his place. And what we saw last week was that God is glorified when his people are unified. The big idea of chapter 3 there, when we saw all the individuals and their clans and their families at work, different sections of the wall, and unified they were in their progress. Now, we know from history of God's work through his people that where there's progress, there's problems, you name it, conflict, opposition, persecution. In Nehemiah 3, we saw all the people working in one accord and we saw where they were working. And here in Nehemiah 4 now, we will see how the people persevere in their work through increasing opposition. I'll ask the uh, ushers to come forward now and pass out Bibles. And man, I wish we had more time this morning because we have a lot to glean from a chapter like this today in view of our status as the church in America today. All kinds of opposing forces are on the rise all around us as Christianity and God's will revealed in the Bible are increasingly viewed as corrosive for societal flourishing. Now, opposition is not new to global Christianity throughout world history. As a matter of fact, it's the norm. It's been the norm. However, for the historical European American church, us, we are not familiar with living in a context in which we do not have the primary influence on societal on values and, and culture. As traditional as the traditional American evangelical church seems to be declining, an opposition to our mission and values continues to increase, how will we persevere? Is a question many of us are asking and wrestling through right now. Rightfully, we should be asking these questions in a new age, in a changing context? Will we be able to advance God's kingdom purposes anymore? Let's look in Nehemiah and see how the people of God overcame opposition in their mission for God and discover what hope there might be for us today. Amen? Let's pray and then we'll start in Nehemiah 4. Lord Jesus, you have dealt bountifully with us, 
that we might live and keep your word. Open the eyes of our hearts today, Lord Jesus, to see and behold marvelous things from your word. Lord, stir our affections for you. Help us to find rest and peace in you today. Comfort us by your Holy Spirit in your word that we would know you more fully, love you more deeply, and live for you more faithfully all the days of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Nehemiah 4, let's read the first three verses. Now it came about that when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they even revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was near him, and he said, even, if a, even, even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. The opposition is back on scene. Remember Sanballat, the Horonite? We saw him in Nehemiah too, right when Nehemiah first comes back uh, to Jerusalem. He's from Samaria and the clans to the north of Jerusalem. At that time, right when Nehemiah arrived, Sanballat was introduced, and, and Scripture says in Nehemiah 2 that he was displeased at first and was mocking Nehemiah when he first arrived to begin his work. Here he's now furious and very angry, still mocking the Jews. He mocks in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men or army of Samaria. Of course he does. Critics love company. They need it to affirm their criticisms. They need it. It's their justification. Even Tobiah the Ammonite to the east of Jerusalem was there. He was also with Sanballat in, in Nehemiah 2, criticizing the Jews then. Criticism, criticism, criticism. Mocking the people, the work, the quality of their work, their vulnerabilities, anything they can do to hinder the progress of the Jews' work and discourage their mission. Now, let's see how Nehemiah responds in verses 4 through 6. Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before you. For they have demoralized the builders. So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. First thing to note, he turns straight to God. And we don't know whether this prayer is in private 
or is in public, but one thing is for sure, opposition comes, he turns first to God. And someone must have thought, that's not a very Christianly prayer. <laughs> or is it? Hear, O oh, our God, we are despised. Turn their reproach on themselves. Make them captives in a foreign land. There's a play on words here in Hebrew. They make us buza, despised. Would you make them biza, plundered captives? He goes one step further. Don't ever forgive them. Let their sin always be before you. For they demoralize us builders. In the Hebrew as captured in the ESV it says, For they've provoked you to anger before the builders. Let's talk about this prayer. These prayers are often called imprecatory prayers. That's a big new word for, for most of us. We don't hear it or use it often. What that word means, imprecatory prayer, means to curse one's enemy. Is this wrong, what he's doing? Maybe. Maybe not. But there are certainly features of these common prayers that we see all throughout the Old Testament, specifically in the Psalms, that we must come to understand and come to terms with. I would commend to you all for your further study. C.S. Lewis has a great book called Reflections on the Psalms. C.S. Lewis is great. And if you just want to bask in the Psalms, and he's just reflecting on me. He has a chapter in there where I think he handles it very well on understanding these, 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 these cursing type prayers. The first thing to note is the sense of freedom that Nehemiah has in expressing the full scope of his emotions before God. Hatred and resentment expressed without disguise, without self-consciousness or shame. These are feelings expressed in the wild or in its natural form. These prayers tell us something about ourselves. They're telling of our heart's disposition. And we know these feelings all too well, C.S. Lewis writes. After all, we are blood brothers to these ferocious, self-pitying, barbaric, devilish men. Not my words, I think you're sweeties. <laughs> but he's onto something. The second thing to note is that the hatred is in response to something good. A violation of natural order, God's moral law. He hates the injustice at hand. This prayer is in defense of something good. Now, as a Jew, he is called to love his neighbor and even serve his enemy in ways. This is written all throughout the world, all throughout the law. But his anger here seems to be qualified. They provoked God to anger. Nehemiah sees their injustice against God, ultimately. 
They oppose God and his work before the builders. So Nehemiah rightly goes to God for vindication. He entrusts his soul to his faithful creator God, knowing that he is in sovereign control over the outcome here and that God will certainly have the last word. I think he's off the hook for now. And you got to love his next words. Immediately following this deeply heartfelt prayer, so we built the wall. What? Just like that? Yeah. They came at us, so we went ahead and built the wall. Just like that. I like them. I like them. They kept their eyes on the mission of God set before them, and they persisted in it together. All the people had a mind, the Bible says, or literally a heart to work. They were united in their persistent efforts. We built the wall, Nehemiah notes. Family, what we have here in these opening six verses sets the pattern for how we see the people of God overcome opposition through the rest of the chapter, through prayerful perseverance. They overcome opposition through prayerful perseverance. Opposition comes, they seek God's hand to intervene, and they persist in the work together as a united community. Let's not, let's not miss what's, what's implied in this, in this quick transition from the prayer to the builder's advancement in finally completing, connecting the wall and building its first half. There's a quick shift there, but what's happening is there's praise to God already. He's with them. They're progressing in the face of opposition. Now, before we move on, I want to note one more thing at this point. The wall and its purposes. The wall itself around the city of Jerusalem serves as a giant precaution. A giant precaution in, in protecting the city from outside opposition, from the opposition outside the walls, any kind of attacks or, or infiltration from others, the surrounding clans and nations. And ultimately, it protects the flourishment of the community of God inside the wall. Remember, God's ultimate purpose. It has physical and spiritual purposes, this wall. God is ultimately reforming his people in his love and law in his place. So the wall serves as a necessary precaution to protect God's work. It's important to note the purpose of this wall. Keep these three now in mind as we observe what perseverance consists of for the people of God. When I say prayerful perseverance, perseverance consists of prayer, precautions, and persistence. That's what we're going to see through the rest of the chapter. Let's read on. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to read from 7 through 23. I'm going to read the rest of the chapter, then we'll come back and kind of work through it. Okay? 7 through 23. 
Now when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on, and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. All of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem, and to cause a disturbance in it. But we prayed to our God, and because of them we set up a guard against them day and night. Thus in Judah it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Our enemies said, they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. When the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and the exposed spaces, and I stationed the people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. From that day on, half of my servants carried on the work while half of them held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the breastplates. And the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. Those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand doing the work and the other holding a weapon. As for the builders, each wore his sword girded at his side as he built, while the trumpeter stood near me. I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we carried on the work with half of them holding spears from dawn until the stars appeared. At that time, I also said to the people, let each man with his servants spend the night within Jerusalem so that they may be a guard for us by night and a laborer by day. So neither I, my brothers, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us removed our clothes. Each took his weapon even to the water. So as God's people advance in their work, the opposition intensifies. In verse 7, Nehemiah notes that Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ashdodites now have joined forces in their opposition. In other words, from every direction. Take a look at the map real quick, if we can jump to that. This was Brian's map from Nehemiah 2, except we added one group now, the Astadites to the west. This is a remnant uh, clan of the ancient Philistine army to the west. You got Tobiah in the east, Sanballat in the north, the Arabs in the south, and the Astadites in the west. They're, they're cornered from every angle. And they're all working together now in opposition to fight. Threats of attack now loom from all sides. This is a serious, imminent threat. And what did they do? Verse 9. They prayed to God and they took precautions. They set up a guard day and night. 
Now, at this point, it's important that we notice something important, a very important reoccurring theme here. God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Opposition comes and the people pray and build. Then it comes again and they pray and set up guard. God's sovereignty, human responsibility. Often when opposition can, when we're faced with opposition, we can tend to act and respond without depending on God or seeking God's hand in it, or vice versa. We see the opposition, we note it, we pray and take no action. We, we, we take no responsibility to persevere in progress. There must be a healthy balance we see here of prayer as if all depends on God and persistent work as if all progress depends on us. Family, this is important. This is the Christian life, understanding the, 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 the harmony of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. What we do matters. It is God's plan to accomplish his purposes through us by his spirit and his word. Both must be at work together, us with him in prayer and persistence. You see this? It's the only way to overcome opposition with progress. Listen to the cries of the people in the form of a lament that's telling. The people are lamenting in verse 10. The strength of the burden bearers is failing. These are the Jews inside. The strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish. We ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. This is what's being chanted and lamented in the midst of their work. External pressures have now amplified internal weaknesses. They have a real direct effect. And the threats from the opposition are causing great fear. We saw in verses 11 and 12, word is spreading. They're going to attack and kill to stop this work. I think the ESV captures what's going on here best. It says in verse 12. Verse 12 is a very confusing uh, verse. And, and, and the ESV, I think, captures it well. In verse 12, the ESV says, The Jews who lived near us came to us ten times. That means the Jews from our neighborhoods, from our villages, they came to us workers ten times saying, They're going to attack. They're going to attack. You need to return to us. Stop the work. You need to come home. It's too risky. That's what's going on inside the wall right now. The threats are influencing many. Fear is spreading. And when fear strikes the people of God because of threats from the opposition, attacks from opposition in the land, we become very vulnerable. Very vulnerable. As a matter of fact, throughout Israel's history, it would be about this point 
that they would begin to consider other options for safety and security rather than persevering well in trusting God. Time and time again, we see throughout Israel's history as recorded in the Old Testament, we want a king like the other nations to govern us and protect us. We need to link up with the other nations to gain their military support. We need protection. We need their power. And time and time again, God tells them, you don't want to do that. I've told you, I am God. And I am with you. You turn to others or other things for your safety and security, you will be yoked to them and you will fall with them. And fall they did. Don't trust in kings and princes. Don't rely on presidents, governments, and military power. Don't trust in diviners and political, social commentators' opinions. Don't rely on your money and your successes for your safety and security. Don't trust in these gods of the land. Trust in me. I am the Lord your God. Fear me. Your one true God who is with you and able. This has been the message of Israel's history. What does Nehemiah do when faced with opposition? Does he resort to the ways of his forefathers? No. He trusts in God. He takes precautions. He sets them up in stations after praying. He sets them up in stations along the wall, each with a weapon ready to defend. And then comes his Braveheart speech. He sees the fear in the people, Scripture says, and arises declaring, do not be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your loved ones. He's reminding them of God's promises in his word. Deuteronomy 1, Deuteronomy 3, 20. The Lord your God goes before you and will fight for you, just as he did in Egypt and throughout your history. Notice Nehemiah's faith in verse 20. If they come against us, we'll blow the trumpet, gather there, and our God will fight for us, he says. Now, we know he also means we're going to fight. That's why they're rallying. But he knows that what's most important for them to know in overcoming opposition is that God is with us. He will fight for us. He will lead us in victory. 
Verse 15 says, even the enemy recognized that it was ultimately God who frustrated their plan. And so the people pressed on in their work. They prayed, they took necessary precautions, and they persisted in their mission. Nehemiah closes the chapter by explaining how they work together, serving each other, protecting one another day and night. They were a truly interdependent community, reliant on God and one another in accomplishing their mission. Their persistence was risky, it required sacrifice. Commitment, unity, and faith. But they persevered with progress. Family, this is the big idea of our passage this morning. The people of God overcome opposition through prayerful perseverance. Prayer, precautions, and persistence in our calling. Amen? Now, at this point, I would understand if someone's thinking, sounds great, preacher. I see your three principles there and your fancy three Ps. But do you know what I'm going through at work? Do you have any idea what I'm up against in my school? Do you know what they're doing? You know what I'm facing right now in my community? Do you really see what we're up against? I feel like it's only begun and I'm already overwhelmed. We're despised, rejected. My place, my position is, is compromised. I'm being threatened every day. I go about my work or in my school. I understand, in part, we're all up against various kinds of opposition, changing contexts, and in some ways it seems to be getting increasingly more difficult for Christians who are committed to advancing the mission of God, the cause of Christ in our workplaces, in our communities, in our schools. So, how do we make sense of this study in Nehemiah? How do we today find the ability to persevere like this today? First, we take these principles from Nehemiah and we go to and through the cross. 
And when we do, we will see that we don't need to fight for our vindication. No longer do we need to despise others because they despise us. Jesus has come and shocked all of us, showing us that I, the perfect one, the only perfect one, have come to be the despised one in your place. The curses of judgment that you wish upon each other, I will take upon myself for the both of you, you and them. Give me your anger. Give me your hate. Give me your fear. And I will give you peace. I will lead you in victory. I will fight for you. You will persevere. I have come to take your curse upon myself so that you can receive all the blessings, promises of God by faith in me. My rejection for your acceptance. I'll take the spitting the mocking, the beatings, and the death, so that you might have eternal affirmation, security, life with me. Family, Christians are the only ones on the face of this planet that have received the fullness of the grace of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we can be gracious with new hearts, as Joe helped us explain. Nehemiah and the Jews of the Old Testament did not have the same spiritual capacities that we have today. We can overlook and forgive because we have been forgiven our sins overlooked. This is how Jesus can say, blessed are you when they mock you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil falsely against you because of me. Great is your reward in heaven. Only Christians can truly overlook offense, and even pray for our enemies. Because only Christians know that none of us deserve God's love. It's only by God's grace that we have anything. Second, we have a mission to persist in family that we cannot lose sight of. Showing and sharing the gospel of Jesus wherever we are. Our communities, our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces, we have a responsibility, a calling to show and share the gospel of Jesus, make disciples and glorify God from, from our nearest places to the ends of the earth. Christians who follow Christ and are committed to his mission will be persecuted. The Bible assures us of that. There will be opposition. But here's the hard part. The hard part. 
will be our love, our patience, our steadfastness in the face of opposition that witnesses most powerfully to the gospel of Jesus. By your love, they will know you are my disciples. Family, through the Spirit of God and the power of the gospel, we have the power and the ability to respond to hate with love and even service. We can serve the opposition. That's the power that Christ gives us. That's the purpose of the power God, God, Christ gives us to radiate his gospel. It's only going to come through humility, patience, long-suffering, love. Third, we take precautions as Christians not by getting our concealed carry permits. I had to say it. I have nothing against concealed carry permits. But there's a point here. As Christians, our priority should be concealing our hearts in God's word. Insulating our hearts in his word. Guarding our hearts by faith in Jesus. Little children, God says, guard your hearts from idols. The walls that we build around our hearts are there to protect our faith. And they're constructed of beliefs, convictions, confessions, as Benjamin showed us this morning, that are passed down. These are our walls of protection today. The only wall around our church is our statement of faith. What we believe in Jesus. It is our faith in Jesus that keeps us truly safe and secure in his truth and in his love. Amen? Family, Jesus calls us not to fight but to love, and it is not easy. It's very difficult, it's risky, it's costly, it requires sacrifice, commitment, but as we look to him and see how he loved us and served us while we were his enemies, and we depend on him in prayer and the power of his Holy Spirit in us, we will persevere. And not just persevere, we will progress together, amen, to the glory of God. I want to close by sharing a short story that illustrates what perseverance and gospel progress looks like in the Middle East today. In 2016, Marty Brophy, one of our elders and myself, were sent from this church to survey prospective partners in Lebanon and Syria at the height of the Syrian war. Shortly after, a flood of Syrian refugees had just poured into nearby Lebanon. 
We first met an organization called Horizons International, based in the, newly based in the center of Beirut, Lebanon. We were among the first Americans to see their new facility. Let's take a look. It was rubble still. It was rubble. This was one of the first projects was just clearing out bags of rubble. There were no windows, no doors. They just purchased this facility. It did, however, have a wall around the facility, as you can kind of see right there. You see the clean wall at the bottom of the top right picture? That's the wall that went around their newly purchased facility. Now, one of the first things Horizons did was start relief aid distribution, packages of food and basic essentials, and they started a school for the Syrian refugee children. Relief aid distribution, and they started a school for, relief, for, for the children. They, they, they started the school, uh, it was a four-story building. Even while there was the rubble there, they started to meet in a room there. Now, this is us on one of our trips on the top of the roof. We sent a team, one of the first trips that we did was we sent a team to build a fence. Let's, let's stay on this. No, let's go back. Let's go back. Sorry, I told him I was going to point every time I wanted to do a fence. Um, let's stay on this slide. We, we sent a team. There's Marty, there's Jake, there's Justin and his man bun. We, we sent a team uh, to the roof to, to construct a fence for the children so that they can put up a playground on the top of the school. Okay? Now, you see the minaret in the background? That's a tower called a minaret. There are speakers on that tower. It's, a, it's, a, it's on the top of a mosque, a Sunni Muslim mosque. It's that minaret that radiates the calls to prayer all throughout the community five times a day. That's a Sunni Muslim mosque two doors down. When the nearby, the next door Muslims found out that there was a new Christian organization in the neighborhood, you know what they did every day? The men would come out and they would surround the facility. They would surround the facility standing there, threatening them, mocking them, uh, dispelling and resisting people, not allowing them to gain access into the new community center. How do you think Horizons responded? You think they went for their weapons? You think they met them at the front, fought, mocked back, returned fire with fire? No. They followed the way of Jesus. They prayed. And through the lens of the cross, they saw their opposition as an opportunity to serve and witness to the, to the, to the countercultural beauty of the gospel. They persisted on mission. They, brought the, they, they, they gathered up, brought the relief aid distribution, and started distributing it to the men standing outside. They started giving the men, threatening them, food, material provisions. They invited their children into the school of hope. Sunni Muslim children. The service... And the love, we can advance. The service and the love was too much to bear. They gave up. 
They surrendered their aggression and they started to send their wives weekly for counseling, for relief aid distribution, and they started sending their kids to the School of Hope where they worship Jesus. We can move to the next slides. Where they study the Bible every day and they worship Jesus. These are the kids of the Syrian Muslims who are members of this mosque. These are the opposition's kids being discipled every day. Many of them professing faith at a young age, worshiping Jesus. Hallelujah. Family, praise God. This is how he works. This is what he does if we trust him and persevere well together prayerfully. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are amazing. We see what you do, and it's so confusing to us. It defies the laws of nature and how we operate as a people. Lord, have mercy on us. Stir up affections for you today. Help us to cling to you, love you. Help us to see and behold the beauty of what you've done for us. Help us to find rest and peace and eternal security truly in you. Help us move out into the world as agents of peace and reconciliation, loving and serving our neighbors well, enduring opposition as you have endured the cross for us. Lord, this is what we pray so that you would be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you, family. I'm going to invite the elders to come forward. Anyone who wants to come forward for any type of personal ministry or prayer, the elders will be up here to pray for you all. Have a blessed week. Lord bless you.